Well, remember where we began this sermon series, First Things First, keeping first things first in 2012. We began with uh, the supremacy of Christ, uh, Jesus as first and foremost. And uh, we, we extracted that from the first chapter of Colossians, and part of it read like this. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus, in other words. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Because he is risen, we shall be risen as well. And the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything the Lord Jesus might have the supremacy. First things first. And last week we talked about discipleship as a first things first posture. uh, That the one called to follow the Lord um, orders their lives around discipleship habits, spiritual disciplines, if you will. We talked about, remember, w.sg.qt.org. W for worship and uh, SG for a small group life that there's a regular gathering of your life with other brothers and sisters in a small setting where two or three or a few more gather together in his name for prayer and opening scripture and for uh, care, mutual care of one, each, uh, one another. And QT, quiet time, a, a daily space of stillness. Be still and know that I am God, 4610, the Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. And uh, we were anchored in the second chapter last week under that idea of discipleship. And as one uh, reminder that this is from the sixth verse of the second chapter, Paul said, so then, so then you who have chosen Jesus, so then, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And so we come this morning to the third chapter of Colossians. And you must remember, and this is so essential in all Paul's letters, that at the end of his letters, and now we're going over the past the halfway mark in this letter of only four chapters, at the end of Paul's letters, the second half of his letters is about what you are to do. And if we read it without having thought and understood the first parts of his letters, it sounds like the law in a new form. You ought to do this. You should do that. Uh, we heard it today. Um, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, evil desires, filthy language, rage, malice, and do other things instead. And it sounds like you, you ought to be doing better. Paul does not mean to communicate it in that way. He wants you to remember chapter 1 and 2 of his letter. He didn't write them in chapters. He wants you to remember the first half of his letter. And what he's talking about is within the context of what God has done for you. When your heart is strangely warmed, there will well up within you a desire to respond. And he is providing directions of how you respond to the good news of God. This is week three in this sermon series under the heading of Success Redefined. The world teaches you to get and to get more. And what you have is not enough. Get more social status. Get more things. Get newer stuff, bigger stuff. Multiply, multiply. 
And actually the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us to give, but give in response and in light of what God has given to us. Because God is not a taker. He too is a giver. So Paul reminds us in the first half of his letters what we have been given. We have been given forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. And we've been given life itself. Thank you, Lord. We've been given freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Thank you, Lord. Freedom from sin and freedom from the law and freedom from death. And he has given us the Holy Spirit. Wow. And he has given us power through the Holy Spirit to change our lives around and to experience transformation. Wow. All that God has given us under the heading of, I love you this much. The cross, gift. His life for ours, gift. His love, gift. Freedom, gift. Power, gift. Eternal life, gift. And when people get it, hear it, hear it here, say, oh my goodness, Lord, you've done all that for me. How can I, how can I respond to that? And Jesus says essentially first to his disciples and then in later ages to his disciples until the 21st century to his disciples, to you and me. He says, he breathes on us too. He says, receive the Holy Spirit for your life. So in that context, think of this third chapter. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Since it's been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on things above. Set your hearts and minds on what God would have us be and become. So then Paul says, put to death the old way of life. Put it to death. And he makes out a laundry list to help us consider what might be primarily in our life that needs to be put to death. I sometimes enjoy the passage at the end of Galatians, another letter nearby, and I like to make reference to that this morning, because Paul even more clearly describes the new life in Christ. He says, there's, an old, there's a thing in us called the sin nature. There is something we are born with, and it is anti-God, and it's actually anti-you as well, and it's there in all of us. And Paul said last week in the second chapter, you have to have your heart circumcised to have that sin nature cut off, and the Spirit will displace it, and with the Spirit comes a new kind of life. So Paul will say it this way in Galatians at the end of that letter, after saying, this is what the Lord has given you. So then Paul says at the end of Galatians, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires any longer of this sin nature, this thing in us. And he says this about that. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit with a capital S. And the Spirit, capital S, desires what is is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. You know those regrets we have. I wish I had not done that. I intended not to lose my temper again, and I did. I intended not to, and fill in the blanks, and I did. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law of the oughts and shoulds. And led by the Spirit means the sinful nature is being cut off. Sorry, as I said last week, it's a process. 
It takes a lifetime, but the good news is you ain't what you used to be, and you're sure not what you're going to be because the Spirit will more and more be released within us. Now, Paul has a wonderful list there of what the acts of sinful nature looks like as well. I've always enjoyed Eugene Peterson. He really lets it loose here uh, when he talks about what the acts of the sinful nature are. Uh, Paul says that the usual translations are something like sexual promiscuity, impurity, idolatry, and witchcraft. Uh, Eugene tries to put a little flesh on that for us modern-day folks. And Eugene Peterson translates this, uh, this issue with the sinful nature and what it looks like in this way. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your... hope I have the right place. I don't. I did this earlier. I lost this at the earlier service. I think somebody doesn't want me to read it to you today. I don't know if I'll be able to find it this time. I found it last time. I did. Here it is. Sorry. Here's Eugene Peterson. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Own way all the time equals the sin nature within us. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet Never satisfied wants a brutal temper and impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and Paul says, and I could go on. That's Galatians 5. Or Colossians 3, as we heard today. Get rid of all these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips, and don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self. Paul says, that's the way it was. That's not the way it is for the follower of Jesus. The Spirit received, the Spirit released, and there is a new life born. And this morning, as, as, as we said earlier, we're talking about first things first and that transformation of the heart and the person from a getter, a getting person, to a giving person more and more. Paul speaks specifically, in other words, of a word greed. It's the only one he adds a little more. He says greed or covetousness. He said that's idolatry. He says, greed is displacing God with something else. I can tell you where it shows, us, shows up most prominently in an American culture that has a lot of this in it about getting. It shows up prominently in our American culture, which means it shows up in our lives. It's always there nipping at our heels at a minimum, if not taking over our lives. And the way that greed is manifested among us is we want more money so we can do or have more things. And money becomes that thing which allows us to become more and more greedy. And Paul says that's simply idolatry. That is about getting and not giving. So uh, within that context, remember where we began in December with a commitment card of first things first in 2012. At that point, we talked about, okay, I need to put 
God first in my financial business life also. In fact, we said God first, saving second, credit card debt, get rid of it, and then live on the remainder in a uh, proportional lifestyle of, um, of what appropriately remains. So um, here, here's the pie story. Um, it makes me laugh. I hope you'll enjoy it. Let's give it a try. Forget the interest. First things first, I would offer that if we would look at our finances and deal with that in a godly and honest way, a whole lot of other stuff in our life would fall in place. Jesus said it is a primary and major issue of our lives. When he's teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, you cannot serve two masters. He says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But then he speaks of what these two masters are. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And in most translations, the money or mammon, as it's sometimes translated, 
is a, is a capital letter because it's describing a rival god to God himself. And so it's often capitalized as a proper name. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve two masters. First things first. So Jesus goes on in that teaching and says this, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these other things will be given to you as well. First things first in the ordering of our lives. Greed, which is idolatry, is what we are called to die to, to put to death, so that the new life of grace, we can be raised up. So back six months ago, you may remember this, it was a commitment card that some of us signed about first things first in 2012 with regards to finances. There are reminders on here uh, from uh, Scripture. Uh, Exodus, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Numbers 18, you must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given to you. Deuteronomy 18, you are to give to the temple the first fruits of your grain, new wine and oil, and the first wool from the shearing of your sheep. Nehemiah 10, we also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of, of our every fruit tree. So, we get the picture. Just imagine if that pie divide has started at the correct end and worked its way the other way. There would have been plenty for everybody, and God would have been honored as first things first. So, this is what we say. Pay God first. When you receive your salary check, pay the Lord first. Second, set aside a portion for your savings. Third, if there's credit card debt, seek intentionally to eliminate it. And fourth, establish a lifestyle based upon 80% of your income, allowing you then to give generously, to save wisely, and to live debt-free. That's a first things first life. And that is learning what God means when he chooses and wants us to understand how do I define success? It's not about getting. It is about giving. First things first. Amen? Amen.